thank you. I had an epiphany. I, they give you this thing with the ribbon on it. And I'm like, I sh I'm not going to put on the ribbon. That's kind of silly. And then I thought, I'm old now. How many chances do you get to wear a ribbon anymore? Like, maybe high school track was my last ribbon, so i got to wear it while I can. Um, so yeah, we're going to talk about referring out for mental health services. This is a small group. If you have a comment, welcome. There's some handouts right there. Um, the, if you have a question or a thought as we go through this, just raise your hand or just please share. Um, and we'll, we'll try to get to all the things on the sheet and a couple other things. And this isn't an exact science, and it might have some different perspectives in here, and actually that's really helpful. And, it, it, and if people share and, and give some other ideas and ask some questions, that's kind of representative of how we got to do this anyway. With this mental health stuff, using a team approach, especially in complex, hard things, and not operating as an island, that's one of, that's, it's a really important theme. Um, you know, I could go into all the stats and the research of how with our kids, our young people, our college students, especially our little ones, the um, mental health issues have just been rising quite a bit. Um, almost every single elementary person I talk to Talk, they talk about how they're seeing behaviors in kindergartners, first graders, second graders that they've never seen before. And this was before COVID, right? And so that, there's all sorts of research and stats that I, I won't bore you with, but, but before COVID, the mental health and the behavior kind of stuff was, was becoming much more prevalent. Um, I guess I, I'd like to start with an exercise. I'd like you to... If you think about the teachers that are our most effective teachers, the ones that are the most skilled at working with our most challenge, challenging students, what three adjectives would you give to those teachers? So our teachers that work with our most challenging students, the ones that you look up to, the ones that you admire, what three adjectives? Go ahead and write those three down, and I'll give you about a minute to think on that. Some of you are still writing, but I'd love to hear, I'd love to hear some of the adjectives that you guys came up with about those teachers that are most effective with some of our most challenging kids with their mental health and behavior. What's an adjective or two or three that you came up with? Yeah. This is cheating, but I my first thought for patience, patience. Patience. <laughs> All right. That's good. What else? What's that? Empathetic. 
What's that? Open about personal experiences. Open. For sure. What else? Other ones. These are great. Yes. Positive. Positive. Yes. Consistent. Consistent. These are amazing people. Yes. Loving. Unconditional. Thank you. Un unconditional love. I wrote flexible and firm. Flexible and firm. I mean, they're like they're like Jesus to our students, right? That's what they represent. Um, no, those are great words. Okay. Now think about as administrators. Um, our administrators are often in a similar role with some of our most challenged students, and they might interact with them a fair bit. What three adjectives, go ahead and write down, if you would please, three adjectives that might describe our administrators who are really, really most effective with these students. And maybe you've only worked with one administrator and that's not the one. That's okay. Yeah, I'd look for folks to share out on that one. And I'm, I'm curious, I'm just curious what we'll hear. If we'll hear some of the same ones, if we'll hear different ones. What are some of the adjectives you came up with for administrators? Good listener. Listener. Follow through. Advocate, follow through. What was it? Approachable. Approachable. Put down unafraid. They, they, they're not afraid to get involved in the mess. Ooh. It's almost like I planted that one. Unafraid to get involved. I didn't plant did, that did, one. I was going to say, did I say that right? Yeah, that, was, that was really good. And then I also put down, I, I, it might not honest, and I also put with it to the point of sometimes being blunt. Okay. Direct, maybe? Direct. Yeah, that sounds nicer than blunt. Sometimes blunt's good. I put willing to be the heavy. Okay. Willing to be the bad guy. Yeah, the, an authority. Okay. Patient. What's that? Patient. Patient. Patient, too, right? So there's some, o there's some overlap. Um, a lot of great words. I think it's words that probably are represented in this room um, and in different, uh, God gives us each different gifts. This is the body of Christ. 
And um, those are amazing words. I mean, if I just review some of them, direct, unconditional, open, positive, consistent, doesn't take things personally, empathetic, patient, unafraid to get involved in the muck, mud? Messy. Messy. Messy, that's my handwriting. Um, <laughs> listener, follower, approachable. So I... I've got, a, I've got a theory on this, and I, I don't know if this is accurate or not, but when we have some of our, our children with the biggest issues, they're acting out behaviorally, or they might be deeply anxious or depressed or even suicidal, or they, they have trouble with regulating their emotions. They, they can't self-regulate. Um, they take up most of the teacher's time, most of the administrator's time. I think all of those characteristics that we talked about can be so helpful. But my theory is this, and, and it, you, wouldn't want to, you wouldn't want teachers to not have those things, but one of my theories is that all those things, empathy, patience, you aren't giving up, you're direct, you're unconditional love. I wonder if, I wonder if those strengths can also be one of our greatest enemies for some of our kids that need something that the school can't provide, or they need something more than the school. And as a social worker, like I strive for those things. But then I think sometimes I've tried to do it all, and my team, we've tried to do it all, and we've worn ourselves ragged by, by not stopping ourselves and thinking, is there something that this child needs that, that we can't do? I mean, I'm a social worker. I'm not a teacher. And I, God placed me in the role of teaching for a few classes last year. And I've worked in a psychiatric hospital on the children's unit, and teaching was harder. <laughs> At least for me it was. You guys are tough. You guys are brave. You make a million split-second decisions a day. I mean, the courage, the you guys have much more grit than you have money, um, and and so you are a god blessing to to so many students. And a teacher that I worked with, kind of, she was emblematic of the stuff that we were talking about. Um, that is such a great strength, but also we might have to be on guard for it. She would dive right into anything. Um, she had a math teacher. Her name is starts with D and ends in Anyel. Um, and she taught with at Forest Hills Northern. She's a math teacher, and on her door, maybe you guys have seen this sign. I love it. It says, how to be a math person. Has anybody seen this sign? No? How to be a math person. <laughs> I'm not a math person. How to be a math person. And step one, be a person. Step two, do some math, and I'm like, okay. so here's Danielle, right? She's a young teacher, and um, and this is loosely associated to our topic, but it's a my one of my favorite teacher stories. So I thought I had to work it in. Oh, okay. Um, so Danielle, a newer teacher, and she wanted to, um, you know, she got actually got a paycheck now, not a huge one because she's a teacher, but she got a paycheck, and so she bought herself one of the newer iPhones, and I think it was a few years back, so it was like an iPhone 7, but it, it's not cheap, and it's the newest thing, right? And so Danielle, D 
Danielle, she was at one of, she was, she, well, she made the mistake that some of us have made where she had this iPhone and she was using, the, this is a little bit kind of an off-color, almost gross kind of story. I, I don't think they'll kick me out from CEA, but I, I'll tell it anyway. Um, she, she went, she was using the bathroom and she had her iPhone with her, her brand new, it's just, a, I think, a few days old. She was using the bathroom and what happens? She drops it in, right? Hundreds of dollars she spent. She's so happy with it, but the biggest problem wasn't that she was using the bathroom and dropped it in. It was a special kind of bathroom that she was using. She was at one of those outdoor festival concert tent things. And here's a person who dropped their new iPhone in a port john Now, she told us this story at lunch, and so I'm at least not telling you at lunch. And we were like, oh, no. Now, does she have grit? Does she have determination? Does she make split-second decisions? Right? Courage. All this stuff that we've talking about. Talking about. But that's a port john What would you do? Talk to a friend. What would you do? I'll give you a minute. What would you do? Is there a different camp here that's represented? I said I have clothing around my arm. Tie clothing around your arm. Okay, so there's some planning, some strategy there. Anybody else going in for it? We're going in. Is there another option? I don't even know if there's another option. It's kind of a different option. Well, Danielle, you guys want to know what Danielle actually did? Yeah. All right, well. <laughs> she pays somebody. Well, and there's a line, right? And, oh man, you aren't thinking straight. Boom, she went for it. All the way up to the elbow. Like she went, she went for it and missed it the first time. She go back, yes. She got it the second time. So that's Danielle. So I like that story because it's just hard to believe for me. And I think it represents, like, man, this is a unique group of individuals that we have as teachers. And, <laughs> and I don't know if she represents every, she obviously doesn't represent every, every single one. But man, with our, we go into the muck, into the, some of the worst stuff that you can't even imagine. I know that as a social worker, but as a teacher, you guys know that you guys get to know your students. That's so important. And, um, and you don't give up. Danielle didn't give up on that one. Um, and and it, it, it worked out for her. Um, so we have mental health crises. And I want to, I, 
I want to give a chance to just share in smaller groups or, or, or pairs about some of the things that, that maybe you've dealt with, um, with students that have, maybe they've had um, extreme behavior problems or substance use, or um, they've, they've ended up uh, in a, needed to go to a psychiatric hospital, or worse. Um, and I think to be able to, to be open that those things are real in school and to talk, talk about that and to, to acknowledge that and to name that is important because it's our reality for so many of us right now. Um, I know some amazing teachers and there are fewer things that can make them second guess their confidence. As a social worker, I had a period, a couple periods of time, I've done this for 23, 24 years, where my confidence was taking a hit. And part of it had to do with some of the, the challenges that I was facing that I, I couldn't solve and that I, I kind of felt the responsibility or that the responsibility was placed on me to solve. So I just want to take three or four minutes and you can talk with somebody around you and it can be in maybe a small group or if you got to move a chair, three or four people, just about maybe some of your realistic experiences. And when you do this, please um, maintain confidentiality um, to not use specific names or, or identifying things. I think that's important. So, so what are the crises maybe you've dealt with and maybe how it affected you? is the second part of that question. So we'll take three, four, or five minutes and go ahead and do that. Thank you.
We'll give you about one more minute. One more minute. shared either kind of a brief instance or a brief brief summary of what you dealt with with a student or how that affected you as an educator as a leader as a teacher I'd love to hear from the group and see what our experiences have been and maybe be a little less alone in some of these things what kind of stuff what kind of stuff has have we dealt with and experience and how have we experienced that On the way to work. some other things that we've dealt with.
helpless. And I'll comment on that. Thank you, thank you for doing what you do. Because as a school social worker, I spent probably thousands of hours counseling kids in my office, and some of the most powerful expression and therapeutic stuff they did was through art. I would have art teachers come to me as a social worker, as a school counselor, and say, do I need to, do I need to be concerned about this? What do you think about I don't know what to say. And that's great. Come bring that kind of stuff to us because that's, that's one of the reasons that we're there, there for. Thank you. What else? What other personal experiences or things that we've observed with kids? And I guess it's all personal at that point. Others want to share? school refusal, you wonder about truancy, you, what can you do, what can't you do. Yeah. Eh. One more, one more, or either feelings or experience, some things that you'd want to share. I'll share one. Um, I had a few years ago had a, just an incredibly difficult student and the, the parents had a lot of resources, and I think my concern was that they were more likely to use their resources for a lawyer than getting the kid the, the help that they would need, and the kids disrobing at school and hurting staff and hurting students. And the, the teacher would come to me desperate and would say, we can't keep doing this, we can't keep doing this, and would look at me for answers, and I didn't have them. And that was, that was hard, 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 because I wanted to help, painful, you know? I, I wanted to help, and I couldn't fix it. Wanted to help that student and that teacher, and they were, it was, it was rough. It was so rough for them, okay? So what are the things, if you look at your sheet, um, that you have. What are the things we've listed there? Some things that um, what really requires professional help outside of the school? The school cannot handle these things alone. They may be a part of the solution. We are likely a part of the solution, but only a part. Okay? Suicidality, that is, that is something where the professionals have to be brought around. Um, anxiety, depression, extreme in impulsivity, um, that stuff that lasts for more than just a few days. We're getting into the couple weeks realm. Um, that's, that's another area that needs professional help beyond what the school can offer. Substance abuse and addictions, um, that's another big one. Those are extremely complex. The family is very involved. 
had a substance abuse counselor told me that in every situation he ever saw with a teen who was embroiled in substances, the parents were enabling. The parents were enabling every single time. Now, I had thought of enabling as, you know, they give the kid cash and then the kid buys weed or something. But enabling can take a lot of different forms. It can be getting yelled at, you know, or yelling at someone can be a part of the enabling. And so the parents were hurting too. The parents were hurting too, and I don't think it was a blame thing. It was just to illustrate how much of a family issue that was. Um, if, a, if a school tries to help, tries to solve a substance issue on their own, I don't, I can't recall a school being successful with that. Um, the fourth one there, a student unsafe to self and peers um, and, and staff, um, where that's cons consistently unsafe, they're going to need more than the school can provide, almost always. Ongoing destruction of property, schoolwork, and, and then an indicator is your schoolwork suffering significantly. And, um, and also as a school, you are trying a lot of things and you are just spinning your wheels with any of this and you just aren't getting traction. And you've tried meetings, you've tried meeting with parents, you've tried a bunch of um, interventions with the student and you just aren't getting traction. Um, and I, would, I guess I would add one to this list that I neglected and I thank you for sharing it, the school refusal thing. Um, getting some outside help to work with those family dynamics. A school can't be a family therapy agency, typically, and have much success. They just aren't set up for that. And so school refusal, getting outside help, is, I think, an important one, too. Um, not that the school isn't a part of that. They're a huge part of, of the solution, right? And then you start thinking about things like truancy and all the steps that you would have to jump through for that, what are the ages. So, um, Anything that I may have missed, I mean, we've got professionals in this room. Anything where you think, you know, you want to add to that list? Does that feel pretty comprehensive to you? I might have, I might have, there might be more. Okay. Um, so, where do we go with this? I think, I think this is the first one, is kind of an obvious one, um, but we're going to involve our school's mental health staff. As a teacher, reach out to them, talk with them, email them. Um, the, the Christian schools that I'm aware of have been hiring social workers and counselors more. My position at Zealand Christian, I'm a full-time social worker, <coughs> didn't exist two years ago. And so there's that need there. And so uh, how many of your schools have in the past couple of years added to your social work, counseling, mental health therapist kind of time, a number have. So that's great. The need, the need is there. Um, number two, the team, the team, the team. No one flies solo. Um, if the classroom teacher is feeling on an island or the social worker or, or the administrator is on an island, they aren't going to be successful and that is too much weight to bear. And so it's, it's operating as a team is, is so critical, um, especially, especially with the classroom teacher elementary where they're handling that child seven, six, seven hours a day on their own. Um, I want to shift 
we're thinking about the teacher a little bit, and in a moment we're going to talk about parents. And for this one, I want, and, and some of us may be able to do the shoes. Hello, thank you. No, you're fine. Um, some of us have been in these shoes, but what's it like to be the parent of a child who's really struggling in some of the ways that we um, mentioned? And, you know, if you're in your small group still, if you'd like to stand because you've been sitting all day and you want to stand and talk, let's just take three or four minutes to think about what's it like for that parent, do you think? Go ahead. a few more seconds. Thanks.
for sharing. And I, I'm going to jot some of these down. I am almost always working with families in this situation, one of these situations, and um, communicating with parents and how we do that is, is so key, right? Um, but I want to I want to write these things down. What are some adjectives or what are some words that you guys talked about that you came up with? Please share. How are those parents feeling? We denial. Denial. Yep. You bet. What else? Mm-hmm. Yep. They never direct that at the school, though, do they? <laughs> we talked helpless. Helpless. Frustrated. Tired. They project because they're mad that they can't solve the problem themselves and they project it on whoever is also involved in the problem. Helpless, tired, project. I missed one in there. You said frustrated, right? Addicted, sometimes drunk. It's reality. Others? And they're living at 24-7, right? Um, and so the communicating with parents, what are some things that we need to do when we communicate with those parents? So on your sheet below, um, I, think, I think these are, some of these are, are obvious. It's important, I think, when we're talking through these things to maybe give a couple of new ideas that you can take with you, and then also just remind and retweak um, and reinforce, and hopefully it's some of the things we already know, and hopefully that's some affirmation for what you are doing, because we want to have that. We want to have that too. But of course, we want to listen to the parents. It's so important to just listen, and we often we don't know what to say. Silence is okay. If I don't know what to say, I say, tell me more. Tell me more. Have, have something that you're coming. Tell me about that. I'd like to hear more. Tell me more. Have a phrase that you can use. Um, empathy. Being able to reflect some of those feelings of their embarrassment or their hurt or that they're tired. Empathy goes a long way. A long way for a lot of things. Number three is prayer. Um, you know, I, I'm, I've been in the Christian schools for two years and as an employee. I grew up in a Christian school, and I prayed all the time in public school. I just didn't do it out loud. Um, I love that we can pray out loud in a Christian school. Um, I was in a, in a hard meeting this week where it was, the administrator said, would someone like to open in prayer? And the parent said, yeah, I'll open in prayer. And the parent opened prayer. And that was, that was really, that was really meaningful. Like we, we are in this together. Um, and why not talk to the Lord of the universe when you're in, in the crisis, right? Sometimes, sometimes I've even said, you know, hey, and this kid is raging and they're spitting and they're throwing stuff and I want to, I want to shoot up a quick little prayer. I've had to correct myself because there's no such thing as a little prayer. There's a brief prayer, but it's not little. You're talking to the Lord of the universe here, right? Um, truth. We need to give the family truth and facts. Um, and we also need to give them hope. My experience has been that as educators, 
and as a social worker, I mean bleeding heart, we're sometimes better at giving hope and positives than we are at giving truth. So if we can go into the meeting, knowing who, meetings with parents, knowing who's going to say what, um, and that who's going to mention some of those harder things, because I've been in too many meetings when none of us want to jump out there. And sometimes that's the administrator's role, and sometimes it, it, doesn't, it doesn't have to be. Um, the hardest thing, we, need, we can put some things in emails, but those harder conversations, let's do it in person, at least over the phone. Um, I think e emails are more appropriate for small details, sometimes for documentation purposes where the parent needs to know that, but a phone call or, or a verbal um, communication is important. Anybody got, have anything to add to that or, or anything from their experience that would be helpful to share, do you think? I think it's, it's important to say, to, to, to use this phrase, and this is a newer phrase for me, but I'm trying to use it more. We will do everything we can, but there's some things we can't do. We'll do everything we can, but there are some, some things that we can't do. That is a weird thing to say. It makes me uncomfortable even writing it or even putting it on the paper. Because um, we're supposed to be able to do it all and fix all. But I think some humility, humility is important here. Um, Parenting with Love and Logic, Jim Fay. Any of you guys familiar with, with that? Um, my first year of my career, he came and spoke at Forest Hills, and it was awesome. And I ended up, <laughs> I, all the bigwigs, when the money was flowing back in the late 90s, they all went out to dinner with him. And, and uh, there were some pretty fat budgets back then. And I weaseled my way into this dinner with Jim Fay. He was like a legend. And, and I remember him saying that, he said, go out to the front of your school and look at your school's sign. Okay? Look at your school's sign. And it says South Christian High School, right? It doesn't say South Christian Psychiatric Hospital. It doesn't say, it doesn't say Grand Rapids Christian Substance Recovery Center. And that stuck with me about what we can and what we can't do. Um, what do we mention to parents? So some op options to mention to parents about getting the help that they need and bringing them along is we don't tell them they have to or, or we don't tell them that this is their only option. But seeing their primary care provider, uh, encouraging them to call to be the squeaky wheel to get an appointment yesterday. With these things, we aren't, we aren't going to wait. If the kid says that they're going to kill themselves and that they want to do it with pills, that's something where they... They're, they're in contact immediately with a professional outside of school. Um, there's community mental health or something similar, depending on what your state is, where there is, there's uh, treatment for folks without insurance. And typically in that situation, at least locally here, my experience has been is that if you, if you need a therapist or some kind of treatment, you have to start with your community mental health agency if there isn't insurance, because they're kind of the gatekeeper. Um, I don't know if any, does anybody have a different experience where they're at, like Wisconsin or otherwise? 
Otherwise, if the family has the insurance company, sometimes, sometimes an insurance company can be helpful, but not all providers, not all psychologists, not all hospitals take all insurance. And so sometimes mentioning to that, and you know, looping in your psychologist or your school social worker or counselor or mental health therapist into these conversations because hopefully they're fairly well versed in some of these things. Um, <coughs> suicide hotline. I didn't put the number there. My experience is stuff like that. It's like, oh, you have a better chance of Googling the suicide lifeline hotline number and finding it than you do finding my sheet six months from now. Um, referred that one out re recently. It was a Spanish-speaking person, and they needed, they needed access to that and what do we do when they needed some help, and that was useful to them. There's also local crisis hotlines um, where the community agency will come to the house at 8 o'clock on a Saturday night when the child is breaking windows or something like that. And what that is, that's a step between we don't want know what to do in calling the police and so community uh, mental health and agencies are starting to promote those things more. I know in, I think in Ottawa County there's that. I think, is that, I don't know, like locally there's some of that that's, that's been started that can be help, helpful. So the local crisis hotlines. Psychiatric hospital, the psychiatric hospitals I'm familiar with, if, sometimes their beds are full. And during COVID their beds have often be, been full. Um, but that changes daily. Uh, I had a parent the other day say, oh, our kid couldn't do that because their beds are full. Well, that was yesterday. What about today? Um, the other, the, the psychiatric hospitals I'm familiar with, if you roll up with your kid who's in psychiatric cross crisis and you go to them physically, they have to assess your kid um, and see what they, they can do. Does anybody know anything different than that? Has anybody had a different experience? If there's any counselors, social workers? Okay. Um, and then 911. Um, if there's an imminent threat to self or others, um, a family might have to call 911. I haven't had to do that in my family yet. Could that ever happen? I pray to God not. But that might be the most loving thing that a family could do for a child to keep their child safe, to keep the family safe if it's a risk in the moment. And I think to mention that, and I've known many families who've had to do that, and if you say that other families have had to do that, that's a true thing, and it's about safety, and it's not a permanent solution. It's about, hey, this needs to be done in love. Um, on your sheet, what else? I would say, when you're having these hard conversations with parents, let them know that you're going to follow up. Um, if it's not an imminent crisis, that you're going to follow up in about a week and do that. Because if you're referring them to something and they, they need to do that, sometimes just knowing that you're going to call in and check in and you care about them make it more likely that they might invest in that. Um, offer to parents to, hey, we would love with your consent to coordinate with that provider so that we can be supportive at school. And that would be up to you as a parent. And then there's a release of information that's done and where their parents would have to sign off. Even as a school social worker, I don't provide that release of information. I let the therapist or Pine Rest or the psychiatric agency do that. Um, they each have their own forms that they like. And otherwise, we can't talk to them. We can't give them information. Um, we can always listen. 
but we can't give them any information. Um, what if a student completely trashes a classroom or office? What if she grabs the scissors and comes at a teacher? The student may need a day off or two for a break and for you to make a plan and to ensure safety, give staff a reprieve, or to help the parents own the problem. That can be really hard uh, for parents to own that. It can be really hard, even if they are owning that, to ha have to have their kid at home if their kid's in crisis. But also, if you've noticed, we're losing teachers in the profession, and we've got to protect our teachers, we've got to protect our other students, and we aren't a psychiatric hospital. These decisions shouldn't be made unilaterally. These are things that need to be made as a team of administrator, social worker, psychologist, counselor, special educational support teacher, that, that, kind, of, that kind of thing. Um, in the what else category, any other suggestions or, or questions before we get to some do's and don'ts? Any other questions or suggestions? Yes, please. I have a question about uh, options and referring out. This is not yeah. necessarily referral, but uh, I'm guessing you're going to tell me that it depends on the situation. <laughs> yes, uh, it depends. It depends on the situation. Um, when, when working with parents and they're in denial or they're mental health skeptical mm -hmm. or, um, you know, my question is, is there ever a time that you call CPS out of neglect and how do, you, how do you maintain a healthy understanding of where the school's responsibility ends and the parents? Because if we're sitting here and we're telling you kids struggling, kids struggling, kids, well, they just get like that sometimes. Like, right. So I'm gonna. Yeah, it does. I'm gonna lean on your counselor and social worker for their expertise. Um, that's that's one. As a social worker, when I call CPS, I don't ask for my principal's permission. I shouldn't have to. That's that's not what the law requires. I'm gonna tell my principal afterwards, incidentally, like right away. Um, I loop them in, certainly, maybe during the process, but I. I rarely, if ever, make that call without bouncing it off of one other colleague just to make sure that I'm not missing something. And for my own well-being, I don't want to be in this alone, self-care. Um, yes, it is appropriate at times to call Child Protective Services because of abuse. There's such thing as medical neglect. Um, and that, that can get dicey, you know, like they don't, they have bipolar meds and the parent won't refill it. Well, if the parent, if it's been prescribed that, if the kid's been prescribed that and they aren't following the doctor's recommendations and the kid is making threats and is really at risk to themselves, that, that can be appropriate. It might harm your relationship, certainly with the parent. However, CPS has trained me to say, if you make that call, don't let the parents know and give them a heads up or don't let the kid know and that's super hard and yucky however we don't want them to be coordinating stories and making threat to their kid before they show before cps shows up so that's a lot of answers to different questions but that's one of the hardest parts when parents are denial i, I think i think documenting things and giving them truth as much as you can and, and letting them know, here's, here's what we're worried about. Here's what we've seen. Um, we've seen other students in this position, and say true things, you know, that you know, kids have gone to jail or worse. Um, that's a phrase that, that I've appreciated before, jail or worse. Um, 
And ultimately, you can't control that family. You can only control what you can control. But that's it's very hard stuff. I don't know if you have any reaction or thought. Yeah. Um, some some do's or do's and don'ts. Don't diagnose. You know, I think your kid has depression. Um, yeah, here's what I'm seeing. Here's what I'm seeing in your kid that they they're sleeping all the time. That they've mentioned that they wanted to die. That. Um, they don't have motivation, they're crying, they've told me that they're crying a lot. Those are similar to signs that we see in kids who've been diagnosed with depression. We can't make that diagnosis as a school, anxiety. Um, so tell what you see, don't prescribe. Please don't mention, mention specific meds or meds, especially as a teacher. School, social worker, counselor, we have a little bit more leeway, but I'm very careful with that. I've known families where the teacher has, out of the kindness of her heart, said, hey, my, my kid did really well on Adderall. I don't know if that would, you know, that might help your kid too. Families will actually go the opposite direction because the teacher's trying to prescribe and it'd be years before the child gets what they need or maybe they never get it and they self-medicate with marijuana or something. So don't mention medication. But, you know, I'll go so far as to say, hey, you mentioned you had a doctor's appointment coming up for, for Tyler and I wanted to just let you know here's what we're seeing at school and give them give them facts um, and then don't make promises that you can't keep you know um, yes we will we will make sure your child is fine stuff like that making promises that you can't keep um, about what you can think about what you actually can and can't do um, this counselor is great this counselor outside, she's awesome. She'll be able to help your kid. Um, phrase that I, I learned in grad school is, hey, a lot of other families have found benefit from going to Pine Rest, or a lot of other families have found benefit from this counselor, but you've got to vet them as a parent, okay? So you, want, you can give a little bit, but don't paint yourself into a corner. Um, and develop your list of resources. There's things that I wrote on the sheet, but there's local things that you guys can develop as, as, what's, as what's been helpful. Um, any other comments or questions? It is late on a Thursday afternoon. Thank you guys for sticking with. Any other comments or questions? Please stay afterwards if you'd like to chat. Thank you very much.